Well, it's really nice to be back with you all. It's been, it feels like forever since we've been here. Um, where did Mike disappear to? Okay, I was going to ask him how long does he think it's been since we've been here. How long, Gerald? Seven years, maybe. Ten? I don't know. It's been a long time, but it's we're we're happy to be back. And John, thanks for the invite. And uh, let's take just a minute to pray once again before we look into God's word. Father, we are grateful that you hear our cry. And our cry this morning is that you would speak to us and you to help us to understand what your word has to say about such a practical and a subject that is near to so many of our hearts. And so, will you help us this morning? Will you help this servant to speak? And will you help all of us to hear in a way that is profitable? May we hear with faith, and may your word do its good work in our hearts today. We're thankful that you've not left us to our own devices. We're thankful that we have the Word of God open before us. So teach us now by your Spirit, through your Word. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, um, I'd like you to think with me about what we do, how we react, what we think, what immediately goes through our minds when providence is dark. That is, when hard things happen, when events or circumstances touch our lives in ways that hurt, and sometimes they hurt deeply. The diagnosis was cancer. The car accident was horrendous. The tornado took everything. The miscarriage was unexpected and heartbreaking. The job you've had for years is suddenly terminated. The pastor who labored for 40 plus years is taken by a sudden heart attack and boom, he's gone. That was a hard providence. COVID-19 has left you struggling, some for a long, long time. The chemo did not do as well as we had hoped and we're out of options. Family members are tragically taken from us. The battle with leukemia has gone on for years. The church we've been a part of, perhaps for years, is about to close its doors. Those are hard providences. And hard providence has touched every one of us in one way or another in the course of our lives. These are hard things. Christians are not immune to hard things. My question this morning is, what do we do when those things come? How do we react? What goes on inside of us when the news comes or when the trial hits? Thinking about hard and dark providence, this should not be new to us. You've been well taught, I'm sure, about these things. 
It's one thing to be taught about them. It's another to bring that teaching out of storage in the attic and put it into practice when the trial hits. And we don't always get notice of the trial coming, do we? Sometimes it's, it's totally out of the blue. Sometimes we see things coming. And it's still hard. So this morning, I just want to remind us of what we know about the providence of God that will help us to weather the storm of expected or unexpected trials whenever they might come. So I want to give you five things this morning. Don't worry, I won't be long on any of them. Five points is a lot to cram into a sermon, okay? But I want to give you five things this morning about hard providence. Number one, acknowledge the reality of the pain in dark providences. Number two, acknowledge the reality of God's sovereign control. Three, acknowledge the goodness and wisdom of God in dark providence. Number four, acknowledge the purposes of God in dark providences. And finally, acknowledge the call of the gospel in hard providences. I'll give those to you again as we make our way through. Okay, first let's start with acknowledge the reality of the pain in hard providences. The Bible never, ever once calls us to be Stoics in the face of difficulty. You know, you know what a Stoic is. Nothing phases me. Same old face all the time. No, no big deal. Inside, you're dying, but, but you have this stoic front. And it's almost like we're not supposed to acknowledge that the pain is real. We are never called to shut our eyes to the hurt that sometimes comes with some of God's dealings with us. We, we think we've got to at least look like we've got it all together when tragedy strikes. We can't look discouraged. We can't let anyone see us break down. We can't look like we're having a hard time because that would be a bad representation. No, that is not true. That is a false standard if we think we've got to all the time. No. To ignore the pain and pretend it doesn't hurt is to set ourselves up for greater bitterness and resentment down the road. It'll keep you from a thorough and deep reliance upon God because when, when you're putting on the stoic face, what are you trusting in? My ability to be stoic in the face of pain. No. It may be a, it may be a form of pride. We just don't want others to know that we've had a hard time with something. We want to, we want to keep up this good front. I'm okay. Yeah, life has dealt me a hard blow, but I, it's good. And that could be pride rising up. Look at the history of God's people. The Psalms are full of expressions of the pain that comes with, with adversity. Psalm 6, 6. And you don't need to turn to these. I've got a lot. I'm, I've, I've got them right here. I'm going to read them so I don't have to flip back and forth, okay? Psalm 6, 6. We don't know the precise occasion for this psalm, but it's clearly some sort of trouble that has come to David. And in the face of that trouble, he says, I am weary with my sighing. Every night 
I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. Whoa. I make my bed swim? I dissolve my couch with my tears? That's not just... That's sobbing for hours. That's, that's deep, deep pain coming to the surface in sobs and groans and buckets of tears. And that's David. Psalm 39, 12. This may have been penned on, on the occasion of Absalom's rebellion when David was driven out of the city. It could refer to an earlier time when he was pursued by Saul through the wilderness. It was a difficult time, and here's what he says. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, a sojourner like all my fathers. He, he felt forsaken. I'm a stranger. I'm a wanderer. I have no home. Look at my tears. David did not hide his pain. Psalm 42, 3, we don't know the exact occasion. may have something to do with being exiled from Jerusalem and shut off from the worship of God's people. But clearly this was a dark time and a difficult providence. Psalm 42, 3, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? It looked. The pain was so real and evident. It looked like God had forsaken him. There, there, was, there was no hiding of his grief and pain in whatever that particular dark providence was. Psalm 56 and verse 8. This has to do with his flight from Saul when Saul was determined to kill David. And for a time he fled to the Philistines, one of the last places Saul would look for him, and he feigned madness before them. And of that time he wrote, <clears throat> Thou hast taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in thy book? David doesn't ever seem to run out of tears, does he? There are plenty of them. And hard providences brought those tears to the surface. And let me give you one more, Psalm 69. Another psalm of David that's clearly a messianic psalm pointing to Christ. It may well have been written on the occasion of, of any of the difficult providences that came to David and found its clearest fulfillment in the Lord Jesus himself. Listen to those words, Psalm 69, 1-4. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. And the psalm goes on. He's in a very hard place. I've sunk deep in mire and there's no foothold. That's, that's like panic. You're going down and, and the mud is sucking you in and there's nothing to put your feet on. I've, anybody ever got stuck in quicksand? 
I haven't. But we've all seen the old movies, you know, where somebody's chasing Tarzan through the jungle and they come into this pit of quicksand and down they go until somebody throws a vine, hangs them a tree, and they pull themselves out. The image here is, is I'm stuck in the mire and I'm going down and it's sucking me in and I can't, there's nothing to stand on. And he talks about that openly and it's pain. There are many others we could read. But what do you see in these statements? What you see is the dark providence is hurt. They bring with them inward pain and sometimes they break over us like the angry billows of the sea in their times when we feel like we just can't go on and we cry until we have no more tears. And my point is that such pain is a part of the genuine experience of the people of God. It does not automatically mean that you give expression to your pain. It does not automatically mean that you have no faith. It does not automatically mean that you've forsaken God. All it means is that you're a real creature made in the image of God who feels pain deeply. And God made us with that capacity. It does not mean that we have a controversy with God and that we're angry with Him. Now that can happen. And we can turn bitter and angry and we can begin to take issue with God and that's a path we must refuse to walk down. The devil will try to take you down that path when our providence has come. And he'll whisper to you that if you're a true Christian you wouldn't be feeling this way. That's not true. Okay? God wouldn't do that to His true children. Why should you love Him when He's treating you this way? Forget about Him. Don't go down that path. All right? That's a temptation. <clears throat> and we've got to resist that. But now, come back to me with each of these psalms that we read about David's pain and see what is side by side with these tears and expressions of grief and hurt. Okay? Let's go back through them. Psalm 6. We read verse 6 <clears throat> about I make my bed swim. Here's what he says two verses after that. Depart from me all you who do iniquity for the Lord has heard. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They shall suddenly be ashamed. What's side by side with the expression of pain? An expression of trust. You've heard me. It's going to be okay. You've heard me. Psalm 39, we read verse 12. More tears. <clears throat> in verse 7 he said, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. So you got hope in God and you got bitter, not bitter, sorry. You've got lots and lots of tears. You got hope in God and you got tears. They, they, they hang together, okay? Psalm 42, we read verse 3 about tears night and day. have been my food night and day. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. And Psalm 69 we read the first three verses at the end of that psalm in verses 29 and 30. He says, But I am afflicted and in pain. May thy salvation, O God, set me securely on high, and I will praise the name of God with song and shall magnify him with thanksgiving. 
Now, who can hold such strong expressions of grief and hurt and pain and bucket loads of tears and such strong faith and confidence in God at the same time, but a Christian? You see, it's not... It, it, it's okay to feel the pain of adversity. Acknowledging the reality and depth of the hurt that comes is not in itself a turning of your back on God. We feel the pain, we talk about our pain, and at the same time, we trust in God. Jesus felt it, and he expressed it. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, verse 33. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. Wait a minute. Who's that talking about? Who's talking about? Class? Jesus. Jesus began to be very distressed and troubled. It's okay for me to be very distressed and troubled when hard, dark providence hits. Jesus was. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray if it were possible the hour might pass him by. And he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus felt, was there ever a harder providence than God turning away from his son? Ever. No. The prospect of separation from God hurt it was coming from God's own hand. Isaiah 53, 10, the Lord was pleased to crush him. The Lord Jesus felt the indescribable pain of God's hand crushing him, and he said so. But he bowed to his Father's will. And he submitted. The Apostle Paul felt it, and he begged God again and again to take that thorn away. And in addition to the history of God's people in every age, doesn't the Bible teach us generally that in this life we can expect trouble and it's going to hurt? In this world, you shall have tribulation, John 16, 33. Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who've been trained by it, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Beloved, 1 Peter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. Maybe the reason we're surprised when pain comes so strongly is that we've come to expect so much ease and comfort. We think it's our birthright to have an easy life. And, and come on, don't we? In so many respects, have an easy life. We've all got comfortable homes to go home to this afternoon. We've got heat when it turns cold. We've got air conditioning when it gets when it gets hot. We've got cars. We've got refrigerators full of food. We've got 
comfortable clothes. We've, we've got it easy. So when pain and hardship and, and, and the unexpected dark thing comes, it's almost like it catches us unaware, comes out of the blue. But the Bible teaches us to expect difficulty. It's going to come. It's going to hurt. And that's okay. It's, being, it's, it's part of being a child of God. So we've got to acknowledge that it's okay to recognize the pain and the difficulty of hard and difficult providence. But number two, so don't, don't try to hide the pain, okay? Number two, acknowledge the reality of God's sovereign control. This is, this is familiar ground to most of us here. Let me just start with a simple definition. This is the definition I give to our kids at school. The sovereignty of God is His absolute right to rule over absolutely everything, all the time, just as He pleases. That's pretty simple. It is God's absolute right to rule over absolutely everything just as He pleases all the time. That's the sovereignty of God. But let's be sure we understand that it's not <clears throat> just His right that's boxed up and sitting over here beside His throne. It's a right that He actually exercises. He actually exercises that right to rule. It is not dormant. It's not potential power. It is not just a figure of speech. And that rule is extensive. It is all-encompassing. There's not a corner of creation. There's not a part of life. There's not a moment of time, not an event that is out from under His sovereign hand. We call that exercise of, provident, of sovereignty His providence. Y'all have memorized the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? Question 11 is, what are God's works of providence? And his answer is, God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. So the sovereignty of God is His right to rule. His absolute right to rule over absolutely everything, all the time, just as He pleases. The exercise of that right works out in His providence. Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over... What's the last word? All. His sovereignty rules over all. Daniel 4.35, he does, his, he does His will. He actually exercises that right. He does His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What are you doing? Psalm 135, 5 and 6, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps. In the bottom of the Marianas Trench, God is doing His will. And I've never seen the bottom of that place, and neither have you. But you know what's happening down there? Whatever God pleases. That's exactly what's happening down there. Now, if we take that seriously, stick with me. I'm going to give you a long list. But I'm, try I'm, I'm trying to make a point. If we take that seriously, then there's not a leaf, 
a twig, a breeze, a storm, a cell, a germ, a disease, an organ, a person, a president, a nation, an army, the path of a spark or an ember, the course of a lightning bolt, a bullet, a bomb, a car, a plane, a train, a decision, a piece of bad news, an unexpected development, a vote, an election, a nurse, a doctor, a surgeon's hand, a raindrop, a flood, a drought, a budget cut, a government shutdown, an unreasonable boss, a job loss, a programming glitch. Yes, even a programming glitch. The tick of a second, the beat of a heart, the flow of an electron, the orbit of a planet, the movement of a galaxy, the path of an arrow, the wandering of a neighborhood dog. There is nothing that is outside the providential rule of God. There is nothing that operates independently of His sovereign hand. His sovereignty rules over all. All the time. Just as He pleases. So the wayward child, the disease, the shocking news is all part of the divine, sovereign plan of God for you and for me. And that applies as much to the hard providences as to the pleasant ones. It was Luther who said, the arrows that come from the devil's bow are taken out of God's quiver. Store that up. The arrows that are taken, the arrows that come from the devil's bow. And the devil is under God's sovereign control too, right? The arrows that come with the devil's bow are taken out of God's quiver. Acknowledge the sovereign hand of God in the dark, hard providences that come. Number three, acknowledge the goodness and wisdom of God in dark providences. Have you lost your mind? You may say to me, have you lost your mind? Acknowledge the goodness and wisdom of God in dark providences. Deuteronomy 32, 4, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Psalm 104, 24, O Lord, how many are thy works? In wisdom thou hast made them all. Acknowledge the wisdom and goodness of God in hard providences. The point here is that no matter how hurtful an event may be, it has come from God's hand and in ways 
that we can't even begin to understand right now, it is marked by His goodness and wisdom and love. This is a call to walk by faith and not by sight. Isn't it? Sight tells us that whatever hurtful event just happened is cruel and unusual punishment. Sight tells us that God made a serious error in judgment. Sight tells us that it's impossible for this to be good for anybody. But the Bible tells us that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The way we think things ought to be done is not the measure of the way God designs things to be. God does not frame His conception of good according to our definition of good. And we know this. But how often do we forget it when something awry goes, when, when something goes awry according to our standard? This couldn't have happened at a worse time. But if we really believe the doctrine of the providence of God all the way down to our boots, this couldn't have happened at a better time. I give an illustration to our kids at school sometimes, and I, I, they, they don't know this, but I've got a picture that is gorgeous. Anybody ever been to Bouchard Gardens in Victoria, British Columbia? Anybody seen pictures of that place? You guys been there? Next time you go to Seattle, go see that place, okay? It's in Victoria. Absolutely stunning. These These landscapes, manicured gardens, and more colors than you can you even knew existed, and just absolutely gorgeous. And so I take a picture of the Bouchard Gardens, and I cover it over with another piece of paper. And in that piece of paper I'm covering it with, I've got a little hole about as big as the lead in a, the end of a pencil. And I put that paper with the little hole in it over the pretty picture. And I say, tell me what you see. Mr. Oak, have you lost your mind? Can you make any sense out of what you see? No. Well, okay, is it light or dark? And I try to put that little pencil hole over, over one of the darker colors in the picture. Is it light or is it dark? Okay, does that, does that bode well or badly? Well, dark is usually not good. Okay, so, so that's all you see is dark, right? Right. Then I take the little pinhole paper off, and they see this magnificent picture. And it's glorious, and it's beautiful. The picture is what God is doing. Big picture. What you and I see is the pinhole. The Liberty Hole. And, and it looks dark and forbidding. We can't, but, but God is painting this magnificent picture. So it's a call to us to walk by faith and not by sight. Because we see so little of what God is doing. We may not see how much better it is that whatever happened, happened this way, and it happened right then. But I don't have to see that. It may be all dark and cloudy and unclear to me, but to God it is as plain as day that this was meant for good.
It's not, it's not my responsibility to unravel how that is good. That God's got that. It's my responsibility to trust. Psalm 139, 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Everything, everything is black. I, I can't see my way through this thing. But even the darkness is not dark to thee. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. God, it's, all, it's all light to God. He sees it. He sees it. He sees it for what it is and what it's supposed to be and do. And I don't. And guess what? It's okay that I don't. Because God does. And that's okay with me that He does. So acknowledging the goodness and wisdom and love of God in hard providences is a, is a call to trust Him completely and to resist those hard thoughts of God that we mentioned earlier. We've talked about the reality of pain and hard providence. That pain will only be aggravated and increased if we turn bitter and begin to find fault with God and argue against whatever providence has come to us. You don't find Job's pain and grief getting any better as long as he's trying to argue with God. No thanks to his misguided counselors. But when Job takes the place of humble submission at the, at the feet of his Creator, is when God begins to restore him. Were you there when? No, no, no. The path to having our pain eased and the path to having God Himself pour out His own gracious and soothing comfort into the parched and painful cracks of our souls is the path of humble submission and trust. It's not the path of having seen through to all the details of the mystery. It's the path of humble submission and trust. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. And he did that when he was pleased to do that. When did God start working according to my schedule? Ever? No. When have I ever second-guessed God right? Never. How did that restoration come to the psalmist? Set my feet upon a rock. He brought me up out of the pit. He was in the midst of despair and mired in the clay of adversity. What brought him out? Waiting patiently on the Lord. Not arguing, no finger-pointing, no bitter resentful accusations, just patient trust. <clears throat> And that is sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, that is sometimes a hard thing, isn't it? To wait, and to wait, and to wait, and to wait, and to wait. But that's the path God calls us to. And He's given us multitudes of reasons to wait patiently. There is, there, I, I don't know everything about God, okay? Neither do you. But I know enough about God from right here that He's worthy of my trust and He's worth waiting on.
He's proven it over and over and over again. <clears throat> so we come to acknowledge the goodness and wisdom of God in his providence, which is often full of mystery, to be sure. Number four, we must acknowledge the purposes of God, the purposes of God in dark providence. The Bible speaks generally of what God is after in the hard things that come to us. <clears throat> and sometimes that's all we can rest on is, the, is, the, is what the Bible says generally about what, is, what God is up to in, in the painful, difficult things that come to us. Sometimes we don't get more than that, and that's enough. Okay? But I want to give you some examples here in just a minute. Um, but generally, uh, Hebrews 12.10, For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. What, what is God up to when hard things come that are in many ways a form of discipline? He's trying to conform us more to the image of his Son. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James 1, 2-4. Not only this, Romans 5, but we also exult in our tribulations. What? Paul, have you lost your mind? We exult in our tribulations? Yes. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. You see it? He's after our holiness. He's after our greater likeness to Christ. He's after more Christ-like character. He's after greater longings for heaven. He's after a stronger faith, a looser attachment to this world and its things. That's what he's after generally in the in the hard and difficult things that come to us. He wants to make us more like Jesus. How can we complain about that? Really? But while the Bible speaks generally of what God is doing in the hard circumstances He brings to us, it speaks very specifically by way of example when the hard things have come. Let me give you four or five. You know them. I'm just going to mention them. I've already mentioned Job out of the inexplicable darkness of the blackest of sorrows. What did Job lose? What did Job lose? You got one word for what Job lost? Everything. He lost everything. And not just stuff. He lost his children. His wife was cranking in his side. Oh, just curse God and die. Come on, get over it. He lost everything. Out of the inexplicable darkness of the blackest of sorrows comes the submissive, trusting, humble, proven character of Job. Look at him at the end of the book. Wow. Out of the jealousy and cruelty of Joseph's brothers and the lies of Potiphar's wife. Think about it. His brothers sold him 
like a slave. Then they lied to their father about him, saying animals ate him up. He's gone. They wanted to get rid of him forever, sold him into Egypt. Potiphar buys him. He does a great job running Potiphar's estate until Potiphar's wife sets her eyes on Joseph and he runs out of the house to get away from that. How can I commit this great evil and sin against God? And she lies about him. Potiphar throws him in the clink. He's forgotten for two years in prison. You talk about hard, difficult providence. Out of all of that stuff came the preservation of the nation of Israel and ultimately Jesus. Out of the bitter loss of Naomi's husband and her sons comes Ruth, the grandmother of David and ultimately of Jesus. Was the providence of God good? to Naomi. He took her husband. He took her two sons. And she got Ruth, who was the grandmother of David and ultimately of Jesus. You ready to say the providence to Naomi was not good? It was real good. Out of the hatred of the Jews and the irresponsible spinelessness of Pilate and the bloodthirstiness of the Romans comes the death of Christ for sinners. Out of the furnace of affliction and persecution comes the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And in like manner, out of the deep waters of trial and the scorching flames of adversity comes our proven character and strengthened faith and deepened trust and greater Christ likeness and so he refines us in the crucible and he teaches us in the school of adversity he molds and shapes us on the grinding wheel of his grace you ever thought about grace as a grinding wheel <laughs> sometimes it is and sometimes the sparks fly and sometimes the fire gets hot and sometimes the lessons are hard but he will not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. And with all the love of his heart and with all the covenant loyalty of his promise, he will bring us safely to heaven at last. And last, acknowledge the call of the gospel in dark providences. When Jesus made reference to the hard providence of the tower in Siloam falling and killing 18 people, that was a big deal. Tower falls over, 18 people die. What did they do to deserve that? <clears throat> his point was, his point was not that those 18 were worse sinners than anybody else. That's why the tower fell on them. His point was, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. Acknowledge the call of the gospel in hard providence. When the doctor says the chemo is not working and we are out of options, hospice will take over from here. And that just happened to a friend of ours. Had a brain tumor. 
held it under control for, for about four and a half years, which was two and a half years longer than they thought. And now it's, it's, it's done. There's nothing to do but to wait. Why are you not the one going into hospice care? Why do you still have life and breath? So many kids, young people, children, I don't know, I don't know whether you're believers in Jesus or not. But when hard providence has come, it's so that you may respond to the gospel, so that you may repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. When your friend dies in a car accident and you don't, that's God calling you to repent and believe in Jesus. When the fire takes everything you own, but not you, that's God calling you to repent and believe in the gospel. When life takes a hard turn, know that God has good and wise purposes in that. And one of them just may be your conversion. So don't waste that providence from God, however dark it may be. That dark providence just may be the call of the gospel to you to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. And it just may be that someday you'll thank God for that hard providence if it sends you running to Jesus. And so, dear Christian, don't ever lose sight of the good and wise and often mysterious purposes God has in working out His sovereign designs. It's okay that we don't know what those purposes are. It's enough, to, it's enough for us to know that He does. He knows what He's up to. May we trust Him all the more. Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, we're grateful that Your Word tells us that You are sovereign over all and that every detail of our lives is the outworking of your design for us. We pray that you would give us grace to acknowledge the pain of hard providences. It's okay for us to hurt and to say that we hurt. But underneath that hurt, may there be an abiding trust and confidence in you because we know that you do all things well. And the judge of all the earth shall do right. So encourage us in the midst of difficulty. Strengthen our faith in the face of hardship. And when things come and we don't understand, may we rest in knowing that you are doing all things well. So help us to trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.